John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1431.JG1414, certificate number 35725. Why is a mouse when it spins? Do you remember your kid going through a riddle phase? Is this fixed Mm -hmm. in your mind, your kid discovering joke books? Yes. Or, or Bazooka Joe rappers or wherever, wherever kids get these riddles recess. Yes. She, she had joke books, but, um, and, and, uh, and did riddles for a little while, but she really loves the, the, the humor sensibility of Garfield comic strips from the early eighties. Cause you can't beat the classics. So she will walk into the room even now and I'll be reading or something and she'll go, Hey dad, want to hear a Garfield joke? And I put my book down and go, absolutely. And she'll recount a Garfield strip in the same way that, you know, people try to read or try, try to explain Farside comics. She's like, Garfield's sitting on a table. Luckily, there's not a lot of scene setting in a Garfield strip. Exactly. Where generally the background is one horizontal line. <laughs> John walks in and I'm like, I'm with you so far. <laughs> Garfield says, and uh, she still, she, she, um, I'm a little bit afraid for her that she has established her sense of humor from Garfield. And then I have those Fantagraphics Peanuts books from the early 50s. Oh, I got all those. Where uh, where they have, the kids have, you know, they're four years old and they're constantly in an existential crisis. They're very dark. and she, Especially the early ones, because the kids are, uh, I think, canonically younger and drawn younger with big heads and little faces. Yeah, they, they look like they're about to fall over. They're literally toddlers. And they're so like, it really does kind of foreground the... Look at these tykes saying, saying odd and dark Bergmanesque things. Yeah, it's really Kierkegaardian, <laughs> and and so the two between Gar, between 1982 Garfield and 1952 Peanuts. That's where her. So anyway, she got off her riddles pretty fast. Well, I mean that's interesting because that's a more uh, you'd think it would be a more advanced form of humor. Those daily newspaper comics are generally character based. Yeah. So so really, all you're laughing at is the is like. It's true. He does hate Mondays. Yeah, right. There's or Linus. We know what he does. Linus is blanket. It's, he's going to want it back. <laughs> I guess that's appealing to kids because once they understand one rule, they can have the good feeling of laughing at the joke like, oh, right, Garfield said that because he likes lasagna. What's interesting is that I don't think in any of the books 
because I had all the Garfield books, right? From you, you can't. Know. There's like 85 of them. Well, I mean, I had all the ones published between whatever yeah. the first one and 1985. Whenever I stopped buying Garfield books, and I don't think that she's been introduced to Normal. When did Normal arrive on the scene? She knows Odie, but she doesn't. Uh, I don't think she. What about Lyman, Odie's owner? Doesn't he? Yeah, dis- she, doesn't he disappear fairly soon? But Ly- Lyman is there. She said to me the other day. I said, you know, there's no diversity in Garfield. There's just the there's just the people. You know, the there's just John and Lyman and John's parents at one point, and then it's Odie and and uh, Garfield don't constitute by, diversity. By diversity, by diversity, you don't mean diversity of plot. You you expect representation in Garfield. I was just suggesting. You think to there her. should be an a neurotypical cat or a well? And she said, "Who's Muslim the, dog? Who's the doctor? The lady doctor, Liz. Liz. She said Liz could be Asian, <laughs> and I was like, "All right, well, let's go with that." Let's go with Liz is Asian. Liz could be Asian is a pretty good like song title or something. Yeah, Liz could be Asian. Punk, punk title, punk like it's a, <laughs> it's a dead milkman song. It something. also seems like it could be a Netflix uh, sitcom. Yeah, exactly. Aquafina is Liz could be Asian. Normal first appeared in late nineteen seventy nine, so really early oh, days. Oh, Normal's of the strip. been there, so I'm I'm wrong. She must know all about Normal. Well, but normal could be occasional. It, normal was occasional. I you I refer to Normal a lot. I refer to Nermal. Nermal's a real uh, lodestone for you? Yeah, because I feel, you know, we've talked about Scrappy-Doo and how Scrappy-Doo right. was a major problem. I feel like Nermal was a comment on Scrappy-Doo, a knowing, winking comment on, well. Here's the cute, here's the cute addition that audiences will love. And Nermal knows it about, uh, about herself. Uh, and I feel like. Herself? Well, I mean, I. I don't know. I don't want to misgender normal. I know. If you're the one that wants better representation in Garfield. In, in, Wikipedia, in Wikipedia is still using he, him for normal, by well, the way, if that empowers you. Yeah, I feel like Wikipedia might be behind it. Let's use they, them for I'm normal. I'm going to go to normal's Twitter and see if there's a them, they, and the subject. I do feel like normal knows that they are a scrappy do and and that that's part of normal's identity. And it's hilarious. So I'm pro-normal as much as I'm anti-scrappy do. The, um, but I think that's more of an advanced form of, I mean, the thing about riddles is I I almost think kids recite them before they understand any of the operating principles, just because they're seeing it as a call and response pattern. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a thing in the adult world. Somebody says, time to get up buttercup. And you say five more minutes, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like that. (laughs) You know, like someone says, someone says, where do the Is that a universal thing? I don't know. Like, you, yeah, you, yeah, you know yeah. how kids learn those kind of replies. Five more minutes, please. But like, uh, it's the same thing. You, you, you learn that when somebody says, where did the cow go on a first date? You say to the movies. Why did the chicken cross the road? Well, that's a weird one. I think that might be one of the first, some of the first riddles I remember seeing as a kid. Now that I understand them, they're kind of conceptual anti-riddles. Right? Like when you think about why did the chicken cross the road? The, yes. jo- the joke there is that you're waiting for something chicken specific. Yeah. You right. know? Yeah. You would have to be familiar with riddles to understand right. why. Right. The that's... answer to get to the other side is, is kind of an anticlimactic, kind yeah. of a shaggy dog anti joke. And that's pretty advanced unless you're already a David Letterman fan at the time you're hearing that. You have to understand what the riddle has set you up for. Like you think it's going to be like because he wanted to see poultry in motion. You know, you're, you're waiting for. 
for cleverness. And you get the opposite of cleverness, which is its own kind of clever. My dad introduced me to shaggy dog stories at a pretty young age. Mine did too. And I loved them. And I would, I would enact them. You know, I would get a group of people around and I would go, let me tell you the story about the blue ping pong balls. And I would do. And these were full 15 minute yeah. things with lots of elaboration. And Absolutely. I can, this is, this oh. is everything about you in embryo. By the <laughs> All way. I wanted was blue <laughs> ping pong balls and everybody's like hanging on the edge of their seat, or at least I thought they were. And I did this, I did this a lot. Your dad is not with us now to see you make a living out of telling extended boring stories with no, uh, with no payoff. <laughs> My entire life is just a shaggy dog story. <laughs> Because every installment is just another, like, what's going to happen next? In case listeners are not aware, it's a lengthy anti-joke where the uh, a long narrative appears to be building to something and then does not. Right. Somebody dies just as they're about to reveal what the thing exactly. is. Or... You don't know what a purple passion is? That's the one my dad used to tell me. Do you know that one? Uh-uh. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. You're constantly going to learn what a purple passion is and then somebody keeps dying or interrupting. Or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's. I think the the name may come from an Ur story about a shaggy dog, and everyone's trying to unveil the mystery of the shaggy dog and why it never gets a haircut. And the answer turns out to be something like, "Well, because he's so shaggy." Or, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah. it's a non a non ending. And you see that in those like early Electric Company skits, the uh, the like the parrot on the other side of the door, and the guy knocks, and the Is parrot it a- goes, "Who is it?" The guy goes, it's the plumber. I'm, I've come to fix the sink. And we can all see it's a parrot. The plumber thinks it's someone that keeps asking him who he is. The plumber doesn't know why he keeps It just goes on and on until the plumber dies. Qualifies. The plumber dies. Is that, is that how the sketch ends? Uh, no, I, I always forget this part. He it's, goes, he goes ah, it's the plumber. I've, he dies of frustration, or at least he passes it's out. It's crazy that they won like 10 Peabody Awards for that, <laughs> for killing a plumber. <laughs> The uh So your yeah. dad gave you shaggy dog stories and then would and then you'd you'd play them out? You'd... Yeah, I'd, I would retell them at school just to annoy people. Like yes. one of them has a series of travel, you know, a series of vacations with a dog. There's one that has um there's one that actually has a turnaround where a brick disappears at the end of the first story, which ends with a non punchline, and then you tell a second story in which the brick reappears. Oh, it's, that's do, a good do one. Do you know this variant? No, no, a little bit of a linked shaggy dog yeah. story. And sometimes you can like distract them in the middle with a second story. It really, it really depends on your ability to command a schoolyard audience <laughs> that they're going to let you tell a second story after the brick disappears. What's crazy is that no, no other kid I knew had ever experienced the genre of shaggy dog stories. So they all were total victims. I could, I could sit out there and waste an entire recess. Do you think there's a strong level of regionalism where, you know, some schools have this culture of a certain kind of meme, you know, meme in the, in, in the, the pre, sense. the pre digital sense. And then, you know, some new kid comes to school and is like, oh, wow, these guys don't know about, you know, for us, yeah. uh, dead baby jokes or, you know, whatever awful 70s thing we had. Today, it would be maybe a different kind of, <laughs> well, today the regionalism is gone because the right. memes all become worldwide in day two. I do feel like it was a, it was a thing that uh, maybe Jaggy Dog Stories were a thing that had skipped Generation X because they were coming from my my greatest generation dad. And so, uh, so I was the I was reintroducing jazz music I to the think kids. My boomer dad did not get it from his parents. I think my boomer. I think for my boomer dad, it was schoolyard stuff because he was full right. of this kind of patter, right? This kind of call and response, um, nonsensical catchphrase that you know is maybe funnier if you don't understand the context, mm-hmm. and sometimes there isn't any. Um, but I'm sure to him and all his friends in their jalopies, this was hilarious. 
I I learned a lot of nineteen twenties and early. You know, <laughs> how old is your dad? <laughs> well, the thing is, my my grandmother, his mother, was uh, like a vaudeville entertainer. Oh, I didn't know that. And so she had all of these twenty three skidoo kind of. She had she had these novelty songs from before World War One that she had taught her kids. My dad in in nineteen twenty five. At the end of the night, when the kids went to bed, because my grandmother threw parties, they would line up in their pajamas or their night shirts with their little stocking caps. They would line up on the stairs, my dad at the top, his sister in the middle, and my uncle at the bottom. And they each had a song. Hello, hello, hello. That they would sing. It was very, very, I don't know, last century or two centuries ago. They each I'm had a song. Start, I'm going to start doing this at home tonight. <laughs> you know, like I'm a little teapot or whatever, except they, you know, does the spearmint lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight? But they each had their own song and they would sing it. And then the three of them would troop up to bed and all of the, the guests would, I, I guess, applaud. So this is the sound of music thing. It happened in real life. It happened in real life. And, uh, did the Nazis at the party, are they like, <sighs> all of the Seattle Nazis Angelus is coming, <laughs> but they, uh, all those songs, those novelty songs of 1914, all had a lot of references, memes, but like references to culture that was from 1902. You know, they're all like, oh, it's old Sammy Suso and the Sim Sams. There was probably less of a, there's probably a slower evolution back then, right? Like people would still remember the punchlines from 10 years ago. Yeah, and I feel like jazz probably changed all that. You know, jazz had new references to... Uh, to Chattanooga, Chattanooga Choo Choo. It was or as soon as white America realized there was somebody else they could steal better <laughs> slang from and seem a little more authentic. But you know, jazz has all this, like all these telephone numbers, like Pennsylvania six five thousand, <laughs> which wouldn't have made any sense to someone in 1915, right? So, uh, so I got a lot of that. So I have a lot of songs, family songs, that have references to pre World War One pop culture and i have no idea what those references i know i mean i can sing them all but i have no idea what they're referring to in many cases we don't know you know uh you can see as we'll see you can see the the where you can trace some of these memes as they begin to appear in newspapers but then they're all but by that time they're always reported as a thing everyone knows right like as as we are all saying um you know vaudeville was one means of transmission from city to city of these comic ideas but you know, some of that may leave no written record. And Fatty lot- Arbuckle slipped on a banana peel, and everybody knew it. Except there's no supporting documentation to. Yeah, some of these jokes were probably. Cir- this is a little similar to the the entry we did on the um, the one hen, two ducks, three squawking geese, like some kind yeah. of a rate, uh, some kind of accounting exercise that was just kind of funny words, funny nonsense, jumbly words, funny on their own merits without any kind of outside thing, but but just kind of passed sub Rosa and orally for years. And, you know, there wasn't any academic study of this until the seventies. Cause the whole academic genre didn't exist. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was academia, but like not was until there semiotics. In there, there 1902? Were, no, I mean, there was, first of all, there was barely semiotics, but even once there was, it took 50 years for some professor to be like, you know what? The counterculture of the sixties has freed me up to study um, things that my fuddy duddy mentors would not have allowed. Uh-huh, and, crazy now, cat. and now I'm writing about yeah, I'm now I'm writing about uh pre-war newspaper comics and uh urban legends and you know you and you suddenly start to get good reference of this kind of 
oral folklore. And this begat you. (laughs) (laughs) And without that, you and I would never have anything to say, I think. Uh, But I mean, riddles are ancient. Mm -hmm. Um, Riddles were probably told us, I mean, again, we don't have the written record, but as long as there's writing, there is enigmatography or the writing down of riddles onto clay tablets. Frodo would never have gotten the ring if not for riddles. Yeah, even, I mean, Middle Earth has got to be a prehistorical period. Yeah. Although they do have the wheel and steel and stuff, so who knows? Yeah. I guess the elves had that and then they bailed. It was the elves. The elves elves had uh, steel wheels. One of the best Rolling Stones records. The elves and the Rolling Stones had steel wheels. (laughs) And then they went back to uh, England slash... uh, the undying lands across the sea. Valhalla. Um, but yeah, you know, Middle Earth has riddles, we know, from Bilbo meeting Gollum in the cave. Mm-hmm. And they have a riddle contest where they each tell these little short little short poems, um, often with meter and rhyme, where you're trying to guess the identity. It's often in the first person, and you're trying to guess the identity of the speaker. And were riddles <clears throat> in uh, ancient times, were they used in combat? Like that? Were, were there riddle contests? Yeah. Um, the purposes seem to vary. I mean, often it's just entertainment. Um, sometimes it's just a language. It's to teach language. It's a scholarly thing, you know, to get kids, to get students interested in either Latin or writing or philosophy. Um, you use riddles as a goal to an end. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the biblical riddle has some level of combat to it so does the, the famous one and i mean the one in greek myth is um the sphinx killing everyone who can't answer oh yeah her riddle she her i think the sphinx there. is she her uh the what walks on oh, four legs, legs in the morning right. two legs at noon and one three legs in the evening it skips the hopscotch stage where you uh, mostly move on one leg but the answer is is man or humans Right, um, crawling as a baby, walking as an adult, and then walking with a cane as an elder. Um, and Oedipus outstart, outsmarts the Sphinx, who immediately jumps to their death, which is what I do if somebody guesses my punchline <laughs> ever. Uh, the one in the Bible is also uh, kind of a. I mean, the one in the Bible is not a fair riddle. Do you remember? Do you know the story of Samson? I know the. Uh, the general story. What, what do you know about Samson? Well, Samson uh, was uh, long-haired, and uh, he uh, was a— Was he a mod or a rocker? <laughs> he, was, he was good in combat. Uh, he was a good fighter. Squares didn't like him. Yeah. And then—and uh, he had, like, uh, armbands, like gold armbands on his big muscles. Not sure that's Samson, but okay. <laughs> and, that might uh, be wrestling. And, oh, and uh, he, had, and he wore a kind of uh, headband— uh, to hold his hair out Can't of his prove eyes. he doesn't. The Bible never says, and Samson did not wear a headband. <laughs> oh, so. and a, li- a, lo- a loincloth made of lion. <laughs> At this point, you're thinking of Hercules. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, his wife cut his hair because he was too beautiful. And then without his hair, he had lost his strength and was defeated by David, <laughs> David. The king of the Hebrews. He changes his name to Goliath and is killed by... David. That's what I know. We should do a drunk history show, which is you explaining the Bible. <laughs> Neither of us would be drunk. We'd be drunk on power. We'd be drunk on power and the Judeo-Christian tradition. Yes. Uh, I would love to sit and have you quiz me about the Bible. <laughs> well, that could be a whole other show. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is there is a lion in the Samson story. There you go. I guess Samson and Hercules are both you know, all strong people as kids, just chilling with lions. Harumph. The Rock, probably. Mm-hmm. 
his dad brought a brought a lion to Hawaii so they could hang out with one. Who knows? We have all these contemporary problems like drugs and traffic and people yelling at us. But back then, there were no problems except lions. Number one problem, a lion. Yes. Like that's what pe- at, at town council meeting, somebody would go up to the mic and their lips would be on the mic and they'd be like, I'd just like to know what you're going to do about the lion. The, the lion's back. <laughs> Uh, in this case, Samson uh, kills a lion. Well, wait, what is the Samson story? No, I, you, you got oh, it about okay. right. All right, good. He's a strong dude. Yeah. Uh, his wife sell, His wife finds out his power is in his hair. He's, oh. he's made a vow with God never to cut his locks. He's a Nazarite. There you go. Uh, his wife finds out his secret and sells him out to the Philistines. For, his think, wife does. For motivations that I think are pretty murky. Oh, no. Uh, it's uh, typical husband-wife stuff. No, see, that's misogynistic. Well, of course, all, all women would do that, Ken. Yeah. No, John, that's not okay. <laughs> I don't know if the Bible is very clear on why Delilah thinks that she should sell him out. Um, I mean, I've never been married, so I can't say. But <laughs> Are you thinking I should know? It does seem like it comes up a lot. Uh, I mean, there's there's a Talmudic tradition of her being a prostitute. Oh dear, and maybe a, and maybe a, a foreign woman, like maybe Samson should not be dallying with a Philistine. So maybe she's just being true to her people, and it's his mistake. She's a Philistine for marrying outside the he's people. He's a Nazarite, right? He's, Got it. Um, in any case, miscegenation. In any case, she brings in a barber and has his hair cut, and he wakes up without his powers. And the Philistines are able to chain him up and blind him. And in his dying act, he brings down uh, an idolatrous temple on top of all of his. Because they make the mistake of chaining him to a load bearing part of the Temple of Dagon. But he's lost his strength. So he, he just he uses all of his strength. I think God gives him a grants him a one time final balloon payment use of his strength because he's going to use it. For the most noblest of causes, killing hundreds of Philistine worshipers so he in pulls, their act of worship. He pulls it all down on top of them. If you ever have a, a Nazarite chained up, do not chain him to a load-bearing part of your temple. Right. Um, put, him, put him next to an accent wall. See, that right there is the kind of wisdom New, that you're not going to find on other podcasts. News you can use from the Bible. Uh, but there's an earlier story in which he, uh, he, he kills a lion. Yeah. Um, you know, for you know, kills a young lion just for, you know, kind of young guy out protecting the town kind of a adventure. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back the next time he passes that way, the lion's corpse, the lion's skeleton has a, a honeycomb in it. Bees have turned it into a honeycomb, which I don't know will happen in nature. I mean, a, yeah. de- a dead tree, maybe a dead lion seems a little iffy inside the rib cage. You could see a certain kind of bee thinking that was goth. Is that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's where goth bees make honey. Okay. We have to make this delicious, sweet honey. But we're going to do it in a lion's ribcage. Dead lion. Uh, and so he poses a riddle to some soldiers. Who like, does? Uh, Samson. Oh, well, I see. He says, what's... um? <laughs> that seems like an unfair riddle. That's exactly the, the point. It's a thing. <laughs> keep in mind, it's a thing that only he has seen on his walk earlier in the chapter. Uh, usually in many translations, it rhymes. Let me get it right. What walks on four legs in the morning... Has bees <laughs> afternoon, and then I eat the honey, uh, and it never rains but it pours. Uh, he uh, he's at a wedding feast, and he's actually brought honey to the wedding feast. So maybe that's a little more fair play, but still, mm, he okay. hasn't told anybody. He's revealed the bee angle. FYI, yeah. I got the honey from a lion. He says, "Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet." No, knowing what we've attempted to see, and this is a pretty solid riddle. Yeah, I guess so. But he bets that the Philistines will be unable to to guess it, and he wagers uh, like thirty outfits, At like contrary, costumes. Contrary to your idea that Samson only wears a lion cloth, 
He's got 30 lion cloths. A, a lion cloth loincloth. It's an anagram. Uh, and again, the Philistines do what they would normally, what Samson keeps falling for is they get his, they get Samson's new wife to tell them the secret. They threaten her. Yeah. And she says, well, he saw a lion this morning. And so. <laughs> with a bee, with a bee. Uh, I, th- I think she, I think she pleads to, you know, tell me, tell me the answer to your riddle. And he's like, well, okay, don't tell anybody, but I saw this lion. And then they answer the riddle and he's, he's pissed off. Oh, so Samson kind of gets the short end of the stick a few times in the Bible. Yeah, he's like he's a lovable loser. <laughs> did you think? Did you think he was some kind of godlike uh, Tarzan? Type? Well, I mean, you know, part of the point of of his fall was that he was big and strong and great. So I'm I'm just trying to figure out like if the Bible has pre-established that Samson's a dupe. At this point, it seems like the point of the Samson story is just misogyny, basically. Oh, I see. Like, don't, Wives are bad. Don't trust, don't trust your wife, guys. Well, this is a thing about riddles that I that maybe turned me off to them, uh, which is, and and Shaggy Dog stories too, which is that they're not fair. Bilbo does it once. Yeah, but uh, remember, but, he, remember, he's like, "What? What do I have in my pocket?" What do I have in and my Gollum's pocket? like, "Okay, that is not a riddle." But then he takes the bait, right? It's like apologizing on the internet. Once you've done it, you can't you can't take it back. Yeah. Apparently, the riddle game doesn't have well established enough rules that Bilbo can't pull this kind of crap. But Gollum even calls him out. That's not a riddle. Yeah. But, but then he's then, then he can't resist. Yeah. Well, I, and I think Bilbo's like, "Hey, we we didn't say anything about what kind of question, right? We didn't lay out any ground." And then rules. Gollum kind of cheats back because if you recall, Gollum gets multiple guesses. Sure, he does three. He's like string or nothing or something. Yeah, string or lint or nothing. Yeah, he says you have to give me three guesses, and then he gets a fourth one: string or nothing. Um. So yeah, there's often a, a an unfair contest component when these figure in myth. Because the good ones, you go, "All oh, right." But well, the bad ones, you're like, Pfft. well, let's look at some of these. So, like on on ancient Babylonian cuneiform, we see riddles that are just like this, where it's like, here's a cryptic thing. Who am I? In your mouth and your teeth, constantly stared at you, the measuring vessel of your lord. And there's a pun here where the same word might be your teeth or your urine. So it might be in your mouth and your piss, constantly stared at you, the measuring vessel of your lord. Can you outsmart these ancient Babylonians who didn't, uh, who could barely make fire? Wine. Oh, that is actually very close. Huh. I think I'm going to give it to you. Well, okay. The correct answer, I think, I think we have an answer here is beer. Oh, beer. Well, there you go. It's in your mouth and your urine, obviously, because you know you don't you don't buy beer; you only rent it. Right. Constantly stared at you. Uh, well, you maybe mean, the, the the foamy head of a glass looks yeah, like an eye. I mean, or? Or even then, they probably had a the uh, the cultural meme of somebody staring into their beer, wondering why their wife betrayed <laughs> Do them. Do you think they had that? <laughs> I bet they did. Did the Sumerians have country music? People have been staring into their beer for centuries, uh, and uh, and that's probably why they never invented anything good. Uh, and then the measuring vessel of your lord. That's got to be a cultural reference that we don't get. That, well, and that's that people, why would would be think... pay, people would be paid in in gallons of beer, for example. That happened in Egypt. So. Or, or I mean, I, you, you think about the uh, you think about wine being used in sacraments. You know, like oh, I see. So it could be like a a, a ritual. Yeah, it's a pre it's it's pre blood of Christ version of. I think this is small L Lord. Oh, like oh, like your your boss, man. your ma- your master. Yeah. Well. I appreciate you giving me the the wine beer crossover. I think you should get credit for yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, every culture, the Rig Veda has all these Sanskrit riddles, which are often kind of presented as intelligence tests. Like, give me the Sans, give me a Sanskrit riddle here. 
I'm, I'm batting one for one. I'm looking at a set of uh, riddles from the Rig Veda, but the answers were all like Vishnu. <laughs> like you would actually have to know uh, oh, see. <laughs> a local reference. It's like uh, it's like Islamic studies, right? You have to be able to to say what Allah would have done. I, I didn't phrase it as a question. Oh no, that's Jeopardy. Have... You're getting confused with Jeopardy. <laughs> I shouldn't have said what is wine. No, generally the the riddle often ends with a "Who am I?" Oh yeah, you know, or at least that's that's kind of the old Norse or Anglo-Saxon ones that Tolkien's borrowing from. Like he didn't write many of those. A lot of the ones in the book are are old chestnuts that would have been found in in ancient sagas. If somebody on Jeopardy just blurts out the answer, wine, do you what do you do in the first round, which I call the Jeopardy round? Okay. Uh, you correct. You uh, scold them and accept it. You say uh, it's, it's answer tough in the love. form of a question. It's tough. No, I, actually, you're not supposed to do that. I did that once, and I was told no. Just accept it, but remind them. And then in double jeopardy, they get no leeway. They are you can you can stare at them for a minute, but then if they don't realize what they did, they're wrong. Oh baby. wow, kapow! We don't we don't screw around on jeopardy. Here's a here, wait. Here's a Vedic. Uh, these all seem to have a god as an answer. Four are his horns. Three are the feet that bear him. His heads are two, his hands are seven in number. Bound with a triple bond, the steer rose, roars loudly. The mighty God hath entered into mortals. Now, if this were an old English riddle, the answer would be like, the wind or <laughs> uh, uh, the ocean. And you'd be like, oh, of course. But here it's... Three are the feet that bear him. But here it's literally going to be like Indra or, or something. Um, oh, it's in... Oh, no, it's it's a, it appears to be a hymn in praise of... Goethe, a clarified butter or oil used in sacrifices. Oh. I guess that's why all the not horns. The, not the German poet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were really ahead of the game. They, they loved uh, romanticism. So, um, you know, the Anglo-Saxons are where we have, you know, a bunch of uh, writers who, uh, you know, churchmen and scholars who collected hundreds of these and thought they were fun. And they would they would take answers from daily life, uh, you know, a lot of uh, plants, you know, the answer might be the purple hellebore. And you'd be like, oh, of course, <laughs> the purple hellebore. Um, but also kind of an educational tool in a time before there was writing. Yeah. 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 Uh, the answers would be things from daily life, often church furniture. <laughs> like a lot, all, all the best riddles on Bazooka Joe wrappers <laughs> are, are church furniture. What is a pew? What is I'm, also a pew? I'm out of, yeah, I'm out of answers. <laughs> So here, here's an example from Aldhelm, the great uh, enigmatographer of the of the eighth century. Aldhelm, the enigmatographer, they <laughs> that's, called him. That's my most annoying D and D character. Um, what's a good one here? A lot of these are pretty easy because these play fair. From the trunk of a willow and the scraped hide of a cow, I am made. Suffering the fierce savagery of war, I, with my own body, always save my bearer's body unless death takes the man's life. What fierce soldier endures such a fate or receives so many deadly wounds in war? A shield. It is a shield, yes. These are, um, I found a page that had multiple choice answers. So I could have said, is this a house, a castle, an armor, or a shield? And there's not really a twist there. It really right. is like, I'm made of wood and leather. If you hold me up, you won't get killed with a sword. But I get shot a million times. What am I? Yeah. Um, but there's cleverer versions as well where there's some allegory and... Uh, you know, the the spume on the ocean might be compared to a white feather or, you know, something just to kind of confuse the listener. And we start to get more into the modern era of riddles where 
we, we have don't sp- use the word spume. <laughs> I think we still use the word spume all the time. Hmm. I feel like m- once we move to the modern era of riddles, what did we replace the word spume with at, at that point? Froth. I think I thought of that because there's a famous unsolved 19th century riddle that uh, Omni magazine, I remember in the early 80s or late 70s, tried to, sol- you remember the age of sure. of gentlemen getting Omni in the mail? <laughs> I do. I read it for the articles. <laughs> they were soliciting answers to this riddle that was attributed to a 19th century churchman named Bishop Wilberforce. And it's still unsolved to this day? It's yeah. like, a, like a math proof? And in fact, better scholars believe that uh, Wilberforce was not, there appears to be prior art previous to Wilberforce, that he was a, a, uh, a collector of riddles. I thought they were going to say that, that he had a heart attack at the end of the story and, and the riddle was and unfinished. The answer is... Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I remember reading this in Omni. I'm the loudest of voices an orchestra heard, but yet in an orchestra never was seen. Well, that's, that's a problem right there. I'm a bird of gay plumage, but less like a bird, nothing in nature ever has been. Touching earth I expire, in water I die, in earth I lose breath, I can swim, I can fly. Darkness destroys me and light is my death, I can't keep alive without stopping my breath. If my name can't be guessed by a boy or a man, by a girl or a woman, it certainly can. And there appears to be some 19th century prior art suggesting that the correct answer is time. And there's even an explanatory oh. poem saying how, oh. how time applies to all these things, but it's really... Why do women understand time and men cannot say time? Because they won't get hired in acting jobs after they turn 40. <laughs> no, let's see. Let's see what that says. Um, I'm, read, I'm trying to read the inverse solution, and it really doesn't... You're not convinced. It really doesn't have anything about the gender uh, division in the last line of the original poem. Omni readers, I remember, suggested that the answer would be a whale. And I, I think I even remember most of the justification. I'm the loudest of voices an orchestra heard. The stressed syllable in the word orchestra is orca orca, the Latin root for whale. Orca. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. But yet an orchestra never was seen. Well, that's uh, okay. self-explanatory. <clears throat> I'm a bird of gay plumage. I guess that could be the... Um, you know, the, fr- how, I, I don't want to say spume, the how, froth, how colorful b- whales are. Well, you know, it could be the, the froth coming off a, a diving a whale bird of or gay plumage. All right. Sure. The feather like, uh, uh, yeah. of a breaching or blowing whale, but less like a bird, nothing in nature ever has been. It's okay. true. Like fish sure. and bird are, are diametrically opposed. Touching earth. I expire. Many whales be- sure. get beached in water. I die. Others do not and still die. Sure. He wants, it once in his life dies a whale. a whale. A whale is guaranteed to either die touching earth or in water. Mm-hmm. In earth, I lose breath. Although True. that could be said of anything. <laughs> I'm going to die either on earth <laughs> or in water. Wait, no. Not an astronaut. Perhaps in space. There you go. Life is long. I can swim. I can fly. Uh, it, they, oh, he breaches. He breaches, yeah. yeah. Darkness destroys me and light is my death. Uh, I believe light is my death would be a reference to, you got to guess here. <clears throat> light is my death. Uh, oh, he floats when he dies, and he if he goes too deep, he is crushed. It could be. I think the contest entrance proposed that light is my death could be a reference to whale oil lamps. Oh, okay. All right. That that's like a... like whale oil banishes the darkness. Darkness dies when you have whale oil, but the, in turn, the whale itself has died to uh, to bring this about. Got it. Um, how did it end? Blah blah blah. I can't keep alive without stopping my breath. Whales have to hold their breath. They're not fish. If my name can't be guessed by a boy or a man, by a girl or a woman, it certainly can. In the 19th century, this could be a reference to 
Sure, uh, whalebone uh, corsets, corsets and so, yeah. so forth. Do you buy this? Do you buy any of this? As a kid, I was like, "This is bull." There is mm. a better. There's a better answer to Bishop Wilberforce's riddle. I do feel like you can stretch, and maybe come. I mean, you and I could sit down and say it is Hot Wheels cars, and then you know retcon the answers. There's a lot of retconning happening. Yes. Uh, and the, the ones in Bilbo and Gollum's match, like most of these Anglo-Saxon ones play fair, you know, you've, by that time, somebody has been on both ends of the riddle game and they want to make sure it's a, it's a head scratcher, but the answer either is gettable or makes sense. It's not that different from writing bar trivia, I think. Uh, and we're kind of getting into an era in the 19th century where riddles are, are a brain game. You know, other, other kinds of puzzles have been invented riddles, perhaps the oldest, but, but now they really, they have a set of rules I mean, it doesn't. The old, a lot of the older ones we still don't have answers for. I mean, it's it's rare for us to have this 19th century Bishop Wilberforce example, but lots of the ancient ones we have the riddle, but the answer would have been presented orally, you know. So either it's like answers in the back, and we don't have that tablet, or it was a, you know, somebody in the room will know the answer. For example, one of the earliest Sumerian uh, riddles we have is who becomes pregnant without conceiving, who becomes fat without eating. Is this my dog that got a um, that got a tumor? Mary. <laughs> uh, the Virgin Mary not available as an answer to the... Uh, Who becomes fat without eating? Who becomes pregnant without conceiving? What was that? Uh, who becomes pregnant without conceiving? Who becomes fat without eating? And the answer appears to be... Uh, time. Not very, yeah, you can always <laughs> say time. Uh, I, I think we speculate that the answer is uh, a rain cloud. Uh-huh, pregnant. Uh-huh. Just, but know. it also could be a pause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a pause becomes pauses pregnant were, without... Pauses were even longer back there, yeah. before phones, you know? Um, there's a really good one, or a really mystifying one, that I can't find here. Where Often, even if you have the answer... Oh, yeah, here's one. This is a Babylonian riddle where we have the answer, and it's still... Doesn't make any it sense. Doesn't make any sense. The deflowered girl did not become pregnant. Well, it's could happen. It's a relief for somebody. The undeflowered girl became pregnant. The undeflowered. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the the virgin, the, the deflowered girl did not become pregnant. The undeflowered girl, and I apologize for this regressive language. Deflowering became pregnant. What is it? What is it? And there actually is a yeah. What is it? What is it? What even <laughs> is the it? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What is it? Do you have a guess? Um, uh, 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 a pause. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the answer seems to be auxiliary forces. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it takes a second, but then you laugh. Yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, there's yeah. not. I mean, Walk me through it. We no. We'd purely be speculating as to what what military referent of the time would would have that make sense auxiliary forces come in and are they like get the undeflowered girl pregnant do you think it's like the the green you know the green beret type warriors the elite warriors get all the glory but who's doing the work auxiliary forces well also is it some kind of military barracks humor it could also be some sort of ovid reference um where how so well it's just like the girl that was turned into a white cow 
becomes the you oh, know, I the great whale. You have to know some myth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and right. It's like the Indra, the ones about Vishnu. Like if right. once you hear that, you're like, oh, of course, the famous parable of the auxiliary forces. <laughs> um, the yeah, but, all of the dogs turn on its owner because they uh, because he's a because he's turned into a cow. Lol. As time goes on, these become fairer, more rational. You, you want everyone to understand them immediately. In, in Jeopardy, the parlance for, or in Quishos, the parlance for this is, the question has to be pinned. There has to be something in it that's specific enough that leads directly to one answer. And you want that for adjudication. You want to make sure that when somebody says something else, you have a way to be like, nope, sorry, we said an 1887 poem, the convergence of the twain is too late. Or, you know, you right. don't want it to be just to be vague. Like, this is a, because people will try to write trivia and it'll be like, this is a poem about a shipwreck, you know, not realizing that that means read my mind if you know a ton of poems. You taught me a thing about quiz shows that I that it had never it had never occurred to me, which is that you want people to get the answer. Yes. You you said at one point when people don't get the answer, it's terrible television. You just have you just have three people staring at a camera. You just you want to make and that's why all of the Jeopardy clues have so much reference in them yeah. so that even if you don't know exactly, There's, there'll be some confirmation. <clears throat> here's a wordplay way to get to it. Here's a way to guess it. Right. Here's a date. If that helps, here's a place. If that helps. And that, uh, that made the game a lot easier for me to, to play, I guess, as a home player, because often you search the clue, not for the answer, but for the, for the wink at the answer. Right. Cause otherwise you're wary. You feel like the clue is an enemy and you must not fall for its traps. Right. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a, it's not a riddle. It's actually a set of, of arrows. I'm feeling really pleased with myself today, John, because I remembered to cancel a TV channel during the seven day free trial period. Wow, how did you even manage to do it? You you watched TV for a couple of days and you were like, this is not for me? I watched the one movie I wanted to see on this channel and then I've had to set a little notify update on my phone to remind me to cancel the damn thing before it became $5.99 a month. I've been paying for an app for a year and I have never used it once. And every week I say, oh, I got to cancel that thing. And I still haven't done it. That's why they want you to sign up for those things. Yeah. Because they think you'll forget to unsubscribe. And even though you don't use the surface, they'll just keep siphoning money off you for months to come. Yeah, they hope it they hope it never goes away, right? You forget about it. We want to recommend to you Truebill. If you were to download Truebill, it would manage all your subscriptions for you. It'll figure out what stuff you're not using but you're still paying for, which ones you forgot about. The average Truebill user saves about $720 a year. You know, not everybody is as circumspect as you and I are about subscribing to things, right? People, I think, in the contemporary economy recognize that subscriptions are how you get the things that you want, but they're, they also are susceptible to a lot of things that they don't want to pay for anymore. And, and companies specifically make it hard to cancel, you know? So you've got right. to know where on the site to do it. Here's all the hoops you have to jump through. Truebill will do that automatically for you. That's why I still get Time Magazine. Peace of mind. They have over 2 million users and have collectively saved them over $100 million. So how do I use Truebill? It's easy, John. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today by going to Truebill.com slash Omnibus. So you're saying if I go to Truebill.com slash Omnibus, it could save me thousands a year? That's right. Truebill.com slash Omnibus. We talked about anti-jokes, you know, things like, why does the chicken cross the road? And uh, there's other examples. Why does a fireman wear red suspenders? 
Do you know this one? No. To keep his pants up. Well, you know, where that, where the, you're set up for believing that there's going to be a funny reveal. And then it's like the illusory top step that your foot goes through, believing there's one more because all you get is to keep his pants up. And then you slam your knee and everyone laughs but you. There is no record that I can find of, of that kind of nonsense riddle twist before 1865 and Lewis Carroll's authorship of Alice's, uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which famously is full of logic puzzles and games and philosophical paradoxes of all kinds, including riddles. Um, do you know the most famous riddle from Alice in Wonderland? No. In the Mad Tea Party, the Mad Hatter asks Alice, apropos of nothing, why is a raven like a writing desk? Right. And then the conversation moves on because there's a lot of just kind of hopscotching there. It's it's the first podcast, basically. Uh-huh. But and, it feels like a lot of that um, <clears throat> a lot of that conversation is just jabberwocky, right? Yeah, it, you, you mean just in that it's pure pure nonsense? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and that turns out to be the case later. Uh, it comes back up, and the Mad Hatter doesn't even remember the riddle and says, "Oh, he never had an answer." Right. Um, and Alice is very annoyed because she comes from a world of of rules that she understands. It's a pretty, now that I think about it, it's a pretty good metaphor for children learning a small set of structures and then being dropped into a bigger world where people say crazy stuff and the mentally ill are everywhere. And often there's not an answer, even if it, even if everybody is, I mean, the suggestion of, of the mad hatter and the rabbit is that they're somehow, it's possible that they are wiser, that there's some kind of, there's some world in which they're, uh, they're, they're, nonsensicality is actually like a deeper wisdom. Yes. And I think that's very Carolian that there are hidden meanings right. in it. Um, y- y- references to, to songs and even to, to different kinds of moral teachings or different philosophies than, than Alice's prim uh, uh, nursery ones. Um, in this case, readers really fixated on this unanswered riddle. People wanted to know why, why? a raven is like, a writing desk in Martin Gardner's um, annotated Alice in Wonderland. He assembles dozens of possible answers to the riddle. Oh, the Victorian age. Yeah. I mean, that's where it started. People had plenty of time. The famous American puzzle maker, Sam Lloyd proposed, uh, let me see uh, the notes for which they are noted are not noted for being musical notes. Uh So there's some Lewis Carroll style wordplay in the answer. Right. Because you know, you write written notes on a desk and And a Raven makes awful. Yeah. Yeah. Poe wrote on both. Uh-huh. That's not that's bad. That's also a little bit of a word puzzle. That's and not bad. Pretty good. Bills and tails among their characteristics. Bills and tails. Because you could write stories or or do or, or do, do your bills. do your fine do your budget. See, I like that one. You wouldn't. Uh, it's not. It's not clear that the Mad Hatter and the Rabbit would be familiar with Poe. <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly not, <laughs> but but uh, but it's good. The like the bills and tails. I'm into that. Uh, this one doesn't even make sense because they both stand on their legs, conceal their steals. Apparently, s t o oh, a raven steals things. I don't know what the s t e e l s in a desk would be. Maybe there's oh, the, the nibs. Ma- oh, pen maybe nibs. the pen nibs. Yeah, and ought to be made to shut up. Um, oh, because the writing desk would have a, a lid. Yeah, exactly. Why would a raven ever be made to shut up? They ought to be made to shut up. Oh, they ought. Yeah. They, you, you're annoyed by their cawing, I, I guess. Think. No less than Aldous Huxley wrote uh, some answer, proposed some answers in the 20s that um, that he thought summed up 
I mean, he, he kind of sees it as a metaphysical question. The point is that all of life's great questions don't have answers. Oh. Like, does free will exist? Why, <laughs> you know, why, why, what is the purpose of life? How does, many angels can dance on a writing desk? Exactly. So he proposed the answer, because there's a B in both and an N in neither. And if you think about it, you realize what he means is there's a B in the word both and an N in the word neither. Uh-huh. You're not a fan of this Huxleyan answer? I guess it's pretty Huxleyan. Both have quills dipped in ink, you know, black feathers, because it slopes with a flap. Does sl- I mean, I can see a flap that you lift on a desk, but does... A, does, a, a is, raven flaps its wings and... Is, is a slope a verb in, when a bird is in flight? Is that a down, downward flight as a slope? Slopes, yeah. I don't know. And then there was a contest in 1989 to suggest... There's been a series of contests of Lewis Carroll fans to suggest new ones because one has flapping fits and the other fitting flaps. One is good for writing books and one is good for biting rooks. A rook being another blackbird, I guess. You seem unimpressed. Oh, they all like these. They all like these uh, spoonerisms. One is a rest for pens and one is a pest for wrens. <laughs> I mean, I like that just for the fun, but it's... They both might contain five letters. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> because they are both used to carry on decomposition. So carry on the composition versus carry on decomposition. decomposition. Yeah. They both a lot of people are relying on the bills pun. They both present unkind bills. It was not it was not discovered till 1976. I mean, it was well known that later in life Lewis Carroll put out a new edition of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland where he he said that many people had written him asking for a solution. Oh, and so he he, uh, he, came he up actually with came up yes. with one. And it's not too different than what we've been seeing. Because it can produce a few notes, though they are very flat. Yes. Yes. And this is the confusing part. And it is never put with the wrong end in front. It is never put with the wrong end in front. In 1976, a Lewis Carroll scholar went back and saw the original printer's text of that publication and realized that Carroll had, in fact, written, it is never, with an A, put with the wrong way in front. In other words, it is N-E-V-A-R, put with the wrong way in front, which spelled backwards would be oh. Raven. And I guess, and his editor, hey, this is Lewis Carroll, man. This is, yeah, okay. this is the original, uh, this is the original lineup. Right. The trickster. <laughs> you can't disagree. The rhyme animal. You can't disagree. <laughs> so, but his editor saw this idiot spelled never wrong and corrected it. Of course. And so for a century, nobody understood the joke. <laughs> Which is not a very—it's a bad joke. It's a pun, basically. He could have just left it with the with the flat. Uh, yes, right. He would be fine with that. Um, but this appears to have started the idea that um, an answerless nonsense riddle could be funny because just on its own, you know, if you're thinking of an to make somebody think of an answer, why is a raven like a writing desk? That's a funny exercise or a funny prank. But just by itself, just kind of knowing that it doesn't have an answer, it's funny, right? Why is a raven like a writing desk? Right. It, it just kind of signifies. It's almost like a Zen koan, you know, right? The, I wonder how many how many fist fights it precipitated in 1870. Like how many what, people What are you, what are you imagining a bar like, a drunken Yeah, they threw their wine at one another like, "No, raving's like a riding desk because it's a flat note." And the other guys like, "No, it's because of a yeah, two I'm, two tumblers and a I'm picturing a couple like dock workers at a at a <laughs> at a bar, Thameside bar who are really into Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I often think of that. What is the most contentious conversation <laughs> that ever resulted from that riddle? There must be one. There must have, 
There has to have been one Do you think really it, big argument. I think an interesting question would be, in answer to almost any subject, has this ever caused a murder? And it, and it could be anything. Yeah. Like, has a, has a hockey game ever caused a murder? Absolutely. Almost certainly. Yes. But has a, um, has a burned chicken ever caused a murder? Well, probably yes. because of For sure. centuries of domestic abuse, right? Well, but also just burned chicken. You get two guys around a campfire, and they're both drunk, and somebody burned the chicken. <laughs> there it is. Oh, yeah. I went to a darker place. I, uh, I, I was looking at pictures of, uh, of Roman amphitheaters the other day, and had this vision. I forget which amphitheater I was looking at. It was it was Ephesius, I guess. And I had a vision of the greatest night in the amphitheater in Ephesius. You know, like where like what was it? There were 15,000 people there and some actor gave the performance of their life. And came off the stage drenched in sweat, a beautiful night. Or some liar solo that just killed. Just killed and 15,000 people going crazy. And you're like, that, it was the greatest night. This thing's been here, you know, for 3,000 years and that was its greatest night. And I just, I don't know, I really luxuriated in that vision for a little, for That's a minute. That's nice. Did, yeah, it, did nice. it make you want to be that for some venue? <sighs> What's, let's see, what would my greatest night at a venue. And, and it doesn't have to be your greatest night. It could also just be oh, a really shitty venue. The greatest night and a terrible venue. Well, I mean, it just makes it, it just opens the path. Right. For, it, it broadens the possibility that your show was the greatest if it's not. The greatest night. If it's not the, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> at the Lion's Lair in Denver would have been the one night where somebody didn't get shocked by an ungrounded microphone. <laughs> um, so by the end of the 19th century. Lewis Carroll has planted the seed for the idea that a, a funny question might just be fun, nonsensically funny in itself. May, possibly the fact that people will try to think about an answer, but maybe then the answer is a crazy non sequitur too. Huh. And uh, in the 1890s, we have the first written record of what is finally the title of this show, as suggested by a listener named Darwin. Why is a mouse when it spins? Um, why is a mouse when it spins? I had never... So the reason why, I, you know, <clears throat> I, I it, Darwin suggested a, a number of good show ideas, up with people, uh, Super Bowl halftime shows, um, wartime radio propaganda artists like Lord Ha Ha or uh, Tokyo Rose. Any of them were perfectly good omnibuses, but I had never heard of this, oh, the shags, but I had never heard of why is a mouse when it spins. Have you ever heard the sentence, why is a mouse when it spins? I had never heard it, but I have a similar one that I uh, use all the time. I do too. What is yours? Uh, what's the difference between a chicken? Uh, my dad used to say that, but he would say duck or bear. What's the difference between a bear? Yeah. Is there ever an answer? There's something uh, funny about a chicken. Yeah, the answer is one leg both the same. Okay, that's that's the most common answer to that one. Although my dad would often say because ice cream has no bones. Are yeah, you... but that seems like a that seems like a funny. That's that's like a that's a, a hat on a hat. It's a little too da da uh, to be a, a legitimate riddle. But I used to do the what's the difference between a chicken to my daughter when she was in her riddle yeah. mode. I would say, well, what's the difference between a chicken? One leg, both the same. And it's just close enough. Uh, you, you, it's close enough to English. Like, it's almost unparsable. Yeah. Like, why is a mouse when it spins? Yeah. Where, like, if I, keep, if I keep looking at this, sense will emerge. And I feel like chicken is a funny 
joke animal. Duck is most common, by the way. What's the difference between a duck? One leg, both the same. Yeah, okay. And duck is an early 20th century comedy signifier. I think there was a radio comic whose catchphrase was want to buy a duck. And, yeah, And right. people would just It was a Marx Brothers thing laughing. too, right? Like Duck soup. Yeah, right. But I, but I think what's the difference between a bear is pretty good. That masks it a little bit more. But I, yeah, that was a thing. I don't know where I, I came upon that in college at some point, And I used to, it was something I would confound drunk people with. But, every, but people get frustrated as soon as, they, as soon as they realize that they didn't mishear or you didn't misspeak. Like once, once they're like, oh, you're effing with me. Yeah, they're like, what? Yeah, what's the difference between a chicken? And if you, I think if you're dr- just drunk enough, you're like, the difference between a chicken and what? The, uh, there's a rash of references. So again, we don't know when this was first uttered or why, who came up with it, whose friends thought it was a, a kick and started repeating it at parties. What's the ma- the mouse one? What's what is a mouse when it spins? Originally, it appears to have originated as when is a mouse if it spins? Because in the 1890s, there's a rash of newspapers mentioning this fad of asking when is a mouse when it spins. Sometimes with a um, an alleged or nominal uh, explanation. There's when a, is a mouse when it spins? There's a there's a there's a little story, a kind of a shaggy dog story that gets told about a man who, a, a telltale heart-like story about a man who goes mad um, trying to think of the answer. And he tells his wife, and she thinks he's mad, and he t- tells a policeman and a doctor, and he ends up getting arrested and driven mad, you know, committed to a sanatorium because he's obsessed with this riddle he's heard, Why is it, when is a mouse when it spins? And I think in most of these early cases, this one has an answer too, like the one like both the same. Do you know the answer to when is, when a, mouse? is a mouse when it spins? It's usually something like, the higher it gets, the fewer. Or sometimes simply, the higher, the fewer. So again, it's it's not unlike the one leg both the same, where it, it's almost parsable, but the higher it gets, the fewer. Huh. You know, the, the, the reference don't seem to make sense. Uh, different newspapers credit this as something that's being um, delivered on music hall stages. The popular elocutionist, Mr. Granville Jaggs, um, draws roars of laughter with his irresistible comic delivery of the conundrum, when is a mouse if it spins? So at the time, the, the word conundrum is the most common way to refer to this kind of nonsensical puzzler. Now, there's a, <clears throat> there's a, a phrase I used to use all the time that comes from a lodge in Sun Valley, Idaho, like it's in the it's in the lobby or something? No, there's a there's a a cabin in Sun Valley that has the words "the higher you get, the higher you get" painted on it. And don't you think that that actually has a literal meaning, which is as you move into the mountains, your mood increases with possibly a a, a drug a drug uh, suggesting double entendre? Yes, but it also became a kind of uh, like a cone that that I and a group of friends, and I'm sure skiers and stoners worldwide, as you know, it's a very picturesque cabin. 
and it has this painted on the roof. I don't know what the story is with it, but oh, this is not a place you stayed. You've driven by it, or no? Something. It's not a place to stay. It's a uh, it's, it's somebody's home. It's not, and it's it's a Bruce Willis's house. It's in just Valley? like a little cabin. Is it where Ernest Hemingway killed himself? <laughs> and it's on a it's on like a hiking trail. It's not oh. even a place. I don't think anybody lives there. It's just a little weird pioneer cabin. But the higher you get, the higher you get. We actually had it put on a T-shirt. It was like a little thing that a group of us. But we were stoners. Sure. It only makes... It's not stoner specific though. Like people right. like to have these kinds of catchphrases because, I mean, it's a, they like the in-joke angle of we're the in-group that says that crazy thing and others others don't know what we're laughing at. Right. But also just the, it's a thing to say. Like how much of human interaction is just, you have to have a thing to say in every situation and it's good to have some kind of wry, all-purpose thing to drop the in. There you get. Is the, you know, <laughs> is the Pope Catholic? Right. It's just like, you know, when, you're fr- when your friend shows up at a bar and you want to be the guy who's like, there he is, or here comes trouble, or, yeah, right. you know, this, just this kind of a quiver of slightly annoying social smootheners. Yeah, right, where you point at somebody. I, a friend of mine texted me out of the blue. I hadn't heard from her in a long time the other day. And I replied, there she is. And then she didn't reply. <laughs> and... And it was such a thing that my dad would say, there he is, that it just, it felt like a friendly, jocular reply, but I think she, a little bit younger, maybe didn't know the phrase, and she was like, there I am? Anyway, <laughs> I didn't reply, and so- You've never spoken again. No, her text out of the blue now is just hanging there, because the, I don't know what to say after, there she is, like- Wait like a week and then do it again. Yeah. There she is. There, <laughs> there she, she isn't. Put, put, there she was. Yeah, exactly. There she isn't. <laughs> uh, so this phrase, why, why, when is a mouse when it spins, which quickly becomes why is a mouse when it spins. Um, it's better because it doesn't r- repeat the word when. That's when true. is a mouse when it spins. Also, it makes it a little more zen-like. You know, right. you're asking for an explanation of why. Right. Like why? Because a, a lot of these, you know, the, the, the point of these zen koans is that their essential meaninglessness opens up some new level of meaning. You start it breaks down your traditional understandings of 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 text or words or even ideas, and you somehow become one with the riddle or you become one with a part of it, or it breaks down the the difference between you and the world. It's just an indescribable moo state that comes from contemplation of a sentence that makes no sense. First, there is a mountain. Okay, I'm with you so far. Then there is no mountain. Whoa, it's a twist. Then there is a mountain. That's three act structure, mm-hmm. and it's got an amazing twist. Both, I, I, I'm going to green light this for Netflix and give you 150 million dollars to do nine episodes. I feel like after the third one, there should also be the sound of a gong. Gong. I, I've, I've I figured it out actually. Oh, go ahead. They moved the mountain, hmm. and then somebody got mad, like the HOA, and they had to move it back. Hmm. See, sounds okay. easy. All right. Give me another one. <laughs> then is easy. Yeah. Isn't there a Simpsons like that where he's like, what's the sound of one hand clapping? And Bart is like, easy. Yeah, and he kind of does, he does the flapping sound. of Probably written by George Meyer. <laughs> that's probably true, actually. He's, he likes Eastern mysticism. Um, in many of the contemporary accounts of, of this uh, catchphrase, they always act as, I mean, sometimes there's a, by the time it makes it to America, there's often a, a fake origin story like, Mr. Will Smedley has invented a new puzzle. You know, and it's talking about how, you know, you'll love it if you liked, why is a mouse when it spins? So this is uh, coming from 
English. It's coming from Britain. Uh-huh. And that kind of makes sense, right? It's yeah. the Lewis Carroll thing in which you can see the roots of James Joyce and Monty Python and all this kind of delightful... I mean, it's a lot of it's the, let's be frank, it's the Gaelic influence. It's, you know, the Irish and the Scots had to teach the English how to have a little fun. Yeah, well, they were trying to confuse the Anglo-Saxons so they could come in the night and steal their wheat. And also, if you're extremely drunk, this you know, this, this kind of thing seems funnier and or more sensible. <laughs> well, somebody was trying to say something actually about a mouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's as far as they got. It may have, started, a mouse with it. It may have started with a real mouse. Um, but it catches on in the States as well. And uh, they seem to understand. Here's an 1894 Buffalo newspaper. To those who do not understand the circumstances, this may not be funny, but it is just the same. And John N. Scratchard will either laugh heartily or grow real angry. John N. Scratchard? How has that not passed into our current lexicon? I love when, um, I love when these stories just mention some oh, lo- yeah. local name. John N. Scratchard. Uh, par- for, for, for Maisie Glotz. For, <laughs> for Mr. Jones. Maisie Dotes? Uh-huh. Gene Massif? There's a, uh, and many of these stories have a suggestion that there's a, a, a genre of similar nonsense sentences. Why is a fly when it's a wall? Because may God save Ireland. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's, nobody ever calls it nonsense. And I've noticed nobody ever says, um, nobody ever tries to analyze. It's funny because it makes no sense. Like everybody tries to preserve the, the is Santa Claus real nature of the question. But very soon it starts to be being used differently. By the mid-1860s, we see dismissive uses of it in the paper. Like you ask a dumb question and then you follow it up with, Oh, why is uh, a mouse, why is when, mouse it when it spins? You know, like, like, why is nobody talking about this? Why is a mouse when it spins? You know? Right. Um, it, and a good example of this is a letter John Despassus wrote in 1919 about how Britain has produced a lot of uh, mediocre talents. He says, why Tennyson and Ruskin? Why is a mouse when it spins? You know, like, in other words, this is a question that cannot be answered. It's, yeah. the, it's the opposite of, does a bear poop in the woods? You know, where the answer is, of course. Right. You know, it just implies... Do we have a current version of that? I was trying to think of this. Do we have a question that we use for... Like, that's a dumb question. Yeah, or, you know... Yeah. I mean, you could say, who gives a, you know, whatever, but that's that's a little different. Yeah, I mean, I guess, does a bear poop in the woods is, that's a dumb question because it's so obvious. Right. But this, but Do this, we ever use but this, that? But this really means, like... This shouldn't be asked. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the, your your question is why is the mouth when it's been? Your question is is flawed in some way. Um, by huh. the, by the late eighteen nineties, it's being used just to mean an unanswerable question, like you know how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, essentially. Yeah. Um, Although it's kind of not equivalent to that. No, because it's not it's it, not no unanswerable right. because You're the right. question is too deep. Yeah. You're right. Um, by nineteen hundred, it seems to be kind of a trope of lame humor. Um, you know, it's, it's mentioned as, it, it's a fad, you know, like that stupid, cause today that's what we think of. Like th- these are things that unfunny people do to approximate humor is they have a, uh, they have a wallet full of ease. Yeah. By 1900, it, the answer would be okay. Boomer, right? Like <laughs> yeah. why is a mouse when it spins is so dad. Although it seems to last longer than you would think, you know, nowadays something like that would be funny for two weeks. And if you tried to reuse that meme in March, somebody would be like, uh, that's an old meme, but it checks out. Yeah. Um, in 1900, I see it actually used a lot with real riddles. Like, why is a door not a door? Why is a door not a door? Oh, sorry. I told it wrong. When, is, when a is a door not a door? Do you know that one? When it's a window? When it's a jar. When it's a jar. Oh, Do you really not nice. know these? Uh, I guess I, 
I don't know. My is this what happens when you party a lot in your twenties? You forget all the, <laughs> the time wasting stuff of your teens. Yeah, I think that this is using the same part of your brain that puns are. I mean, it's I've, it, 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 it is it's in the family of pun. Yeah, and that part of my brain is either really undeveloped or I closed the door. It was a jar, and I closed it firmly and put like a bolt on it and said, "No, I will not. My brain will not retain puns. It sounds like or you're. Riddles. It sounds like you're repressing this. Maybe you and Maybe. your therapist need to be working on freeing your inner punster. Well, and also I don't. Um, you know, like there was a man from Nantucket. I don't remember any of those either. Although I've heard a thousand of them. Yeah, I'm not good at remembering jokes. I hate when somebody's like, "Tell a joke." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it seems like, every, you know, dads can immediately, like, a thousand do jokes. ten, and I'm just like, I, and I once had somebody tell me, oh, if you're actually funny, you will be like, oh, I don't know any jokes, because, you know, you don't have to. But I think he was just trying to be nice. Well, or that's very flattering, or it's self-flattering, right? Exactly. Like, oh, I'm actually funny. I yeah. don't know any jokes. Uh, oh, you want a joke? Well, I'll just, let's keep talking, and I'll be hilarious <laughs> six times, and it, and it won't be about uh, uh, how many... The elephants in the refrigerator or but whatever. I could not tell you a joke right now. Me either. To save my life. For the, I would well, think I would say, what is a mouth when it spins? Let me give you a new one from the same article that suggests that it's another fattest joke of the time, like when is a door, not a door. Why is Carrie Nation like a tailor? Carrie Nation, the famous yeah. uh, prohibitionist. Uh, because she chops barrels. They both make shopkeepers clothes. Oh, yeah. Okay. It doesn't work written down. And, no. and it assumes that you're going to pronounce clothes and clothes the same. It also presumes that shopkeepers have their clothes made. Yeah, why does it specifically, if you don't own a shop, you cannot go to a tailor. Well, because Carrie Nation is knocking over liquor stores. Right, it has to, but for the other part of the riddle, it doesn't no, work. Yeah, so, right. You know, like if you're not a shopkeeper, you have to go to Old Navy? Come on. Well, you could have said tavern keeper. Even more specific. And even less likely that a tavern keeper, these days at least, would have their clothes tailored. <laughs> Can't they buy off the rack? Um, so as, as, the, as the 20th century progresses, people do still remember why is a mouse when it spins. We don't have the, you know, now we have oral histories of people being like, I heard that in my schoolyard. I heard that, you know, at university, every, you know, everybody was saying that at Cambridge. Or in the army barracks during World War One. we used to love to... to say that to Sarge. Is or, this a UK thing still? It uh, springs up on both sides of the Atlantic, maybe more so in the UK, I think. Um, the most modern treatment I found of it was in The Guardian, you know, a Manchester paper. And one and interestingly, one of the testimonials is like, we always said this at our school in the 1960s, and uh, local lore was that John Lennon had dreamed it up, because this person had actually attended the Quarry High School where... Oh. Where John met Paul and then George. You could see John saying this all the time. Sure, he wrote that kind of nonsense. He published uh, a book or two of this kind of nonsense first. And it's because it's kind of easy. You know, it's the kind of thing that he could just, you know, you see in the documentary, he could just talk like this all day. Yeah, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Sure. Or or just the stuff he says before, um, there's one in which Doris gets her oats, you know. He, he just had no governor and could, could kind of free some subconscious part of his mind. But I've never heard... Uh, uh, when is a mouse or uh, why is a mouse when it spins? And it seems like neither had no. you. And you and I have heard some other kind of American like equivalents. Yeah. Um, like, like what's the difference between a duck? And it would seem just based on who you are that you would have heard this if it was in common right. parlance. Like if, if your dad and my dad <laughs> and all the joke, 70s joke books we had and the, you know, yeah. Wh- wh- where did it go? So maybe it's more of a British thing. The, um, there tend to be more embellishments of the answer than the question. Why is a mouse when it spins remains the same, but because the higher 
they fly the 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 answer often becomes because the higher they fly the fewer and the engine driver's name was smith Mm. and if you say why was the engine driver's name smith you say because that was his father's name so it kind of it has a whole little yeah give and take that that friends have it does feel dudley moore (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly all that all that uh uh, goon show kind of stuff the answer can be no but my sister rides a bicycle no but you can clean a straw hat with a lemon or even and i like this one a banana that green (laughs) and and you're putting up the fingers you hold your fingers about six inches apart to to demonstrate the greenness of the that green as if the length of the banana would convey its greenness somehow in World War, it was so well known, and I think this is mostly in the British trenches. That in World War One, the higher the fewer actually became a uh, a kind of a sniggering joke about the officer class. Namely, uh, the dumber you were, the faster you would be promoted. The higher, the fewer. Yeah, so it's kind yeah. of a, a reference to the the abilities of the officer class. And then on Christmas Day, nineteen fourteen, <laughs> all hostilities stopped. Do you think they told this to the Germans? Yeah, and the Germans. You know, translated it. Ein Maus in der Spinning? This seems exactly like a thing that the Germans would not enjoy or get at all. You could win any war with the Germans by by posing this this question. They would put their guns down and be like, Ein Maus? Well, speaking of the German tendency toward rational explanation, and I think we've talked about this on Omnibus before, uh, a famous, I think, Charles Adams cartoon of a a skier. It was published in an American paper where the skiers... um, tracks in the snow oh, going go around, around a, tree. a tree behind him yeah and americans loved it and then in germany people wrote in with solutions <laughs> <laughs> it started riots uh, they wrote in with solutions yes what are the possible solutions to that he, yeah well he took off one uh ski and rode around the tree twice or uh he you know uh the tree was planted later or people would write in as as if they were uh, had been asked to solve the puzzle right basically um, because there is this, as we've seen, this historical ambiguity between, uh, you know, a riddle you solve and a koan you contemplate. I mean, the great thing about the Charles Adams uh, cartoon is that there is an observer, right? There's a person yeah. who's trying to figure out. I like, believe you're right. What? Somebody's looking back. Yeah. And it's not clear if they saw the act that circumnavigated the tree or if they are just now noticing the track and wondering, like the reader, what just happened. But the point is that the literalist Germans were like, uh, this is a problem to this, solve. This must not happen with their skis. And you see this kind of impulse more recently when this discussion of why is a mouse when it spins comes up on the internet. There is now a folk etymology for where it came from. In early steam engines, it is now said, there would be kind of a governor, uh, a, a weighted plug yeah. that would be pushed up by the expulsion of the steam. And as it got pushed up, it would move into a wider part of the of the tube and begin cylinder, and begin yeah. to, of the cylinder and begin to rotate, and in doing so, would let steam escape. And this was called a mouse. And yeah, according, yeah, I don't know if there's any evidence for this factual part of it, but yes, this, the the engineers called this part of the engine the mouse. And when it spins, the higher the higher it goes in the shaft the fewer rotations of the steam engine. It slows down the engine and, and acts as a, as a escape valve for governor. This feels like one of the reasons you should not go on Quora exactly. more than once a month. And it's the kind of thing where it makes you feel smart to know this, so it self-propagates. Yeah. Like all these people who think that, that TIP stands for to ensure promptness or, or POSH stands for port out starboard home because that was the 
fancier side of the vessel heading to India or uh, across the Atlantic or whatever. Like these stories are so good and they suggest, I know something the world doesn't know that they get told more than the real answer, which is some idiot school kids. Yeah. You see this a lot on Twitter talking about the war in Ukraine, the people debating right. tank design, and they're like, well, actually, that's a T-72B. Totally different. I do this all the time. I'll be like, well, you know, Soviet, lo- you know, Russian logistics are really frozen in the Soviet era. <laughs> a thing I, I have a very strong opinion about because of a headline of an article I didn't read, right. you know? I've been doing it like crazy, like, well, you know, they don't ra- rotate their tires. <laughs> and it's like, I just read that on a thread. That could be true or not, but, I, I, but it solves all problems. The 1950s version of Why is a Mouse When It Spins, which you may actually have heard um, because it's come down through American comedy and dad joke lore more than the British version, is called No Soap Radio. Do you know No Soap Radio? Huh. No. It's kind of a shaggy dog, non-joke that's usually told something like, a hippo and an elephant are in the bath and one asks the other, the hippo asks to pass the soap and the elephant says, No Soap Radio. And typically, I think it was proposed as a prank, like you would, uh, you would, you would be in the middle of the joke as your victim walked into the elevator. Oh, and the, your your confederate would laugh uproariously <laughs> and just puzzle the the newcomer. Oh, and it's you, an elevator joke, which is a genre I didn't even know existed. You could try it. Have you never done Ele- elevator elev- jokes? Elevator prank. Have you never like you know somebody walks in the elevator and you turn to your wife and say, "So did the doctor say you're contagious?" You never do anything like this. No, that's oh. wonderful. Yeah, I'm, no. The only elevator I'm games worst. I play are the the ones where you jump right as it uh, right right as it arrives at the floor and try and get that brief moment of weightlessness. When you've got to do it, it's it's, it's the best. If you jump at the exact right time, oh, it feels so cool. Except my parents did not let us do that when we lived in an apartment. They would be like, "You are not allowed to jump when the elevator stops." Why not? I think they didn't like the shaking. And it was to be fair, it was a a Korean cinder block apartment uh, building, oh, sure, so maybe that, you don't want to be messing around with. Elevator, the clasps could have broken yeah, because who, two uh, 80-pound kids jumped. <laughs> two blonde kids were goofing around. So No Soap Radio um, became well enough known that it kind of became a, an insider comedy trope. No Soap um, Radio. You'll see it on The Simpsons. Uh, you'll, uh, there's, I think there was a Steve Gutenberg sitcom. Called No Soap called Radio? No Soap Radio. How did I miss that? In the 1970s. Oh, maybe, Wait a minute, maybe not it's, Steve Gutenberg in the 1970s. Yeah, I think it would have been early for him. Really? Oh, no, wait, 82. So still still proto-Gutenberg. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was over on another channel watching Benson. <laughs> sure. We, <laughs> no, we all love we all love Benson, yeah, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was very it was important for us to see an African-American man in that kind of position of power. We all love Benson could be another thing you say when other people get on the elevator. Is Liz Asian? We all and the answer that. is, we all love Benson. And that concludes Why is a Mouse When It Spins? Entry 1431.jg1414 Certificate number 35725 in the omnibus. Future links in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era. I'm sure that it is trying to ruin all these jokes by providing scientific-esque 
explanations for... Yeah, do not for... believe the rationalistic uh, explanations for anything you find in the rubble. No. Although, it might be fun... The, a new version of the elevator joke might be that you go on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and post these... Uh, post some of these and then have a bunch of your friends laugh uproariously... Lots of lol, 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 lols underneath. There has been sociological experimentation on No Soap Radio, and it's actually very common, much more common for people to, to feign laughter than to ask about the punchline. Oh, so people actually do go lol when they have no idea what it is. Yeah. Because uh, they know it's meant to be a joke. Yeah, I didn't look at the research, but this has been academically studied, and it's it's vastly more common to just be like, ha, 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 yeah, No Soap Radio. Well, you should go on uh, at Omnibus Project, at Ken Jennings, or at John Roderick, and uh, post some of these, and then we will laugh uproariously at your non-joke, and at least in Ken's case, might get 500 people going, wow, that's hilarious. We'll see. That, you know, you could, with a sufficient number of Twitter followers, you could just, you know, enter some non-joke and then watch what happens as people fave it and other people say, I don't get it, and other people explain the joke to them. Right. Because there's plenty of that even when it's a real joke. Yeah, you know, the right. the um, the nature of the internet plus the neurotypical nature of many internet users means that you're going to get, always going to get a ton of, wait, what is he saying? No, no, no. That's a T72B. I don't get it. Lol. And I love when they have an ex- a very detailed explanation of why the joke is funny that is completely wrong. Yeah. No, see, the, the airplane has to be red because apples are red. Yeah. And you give your teacher an apple. No, you see, it's a locomotive and the piston is called a mouse. If you understand more about how steam engines work, this joke is elementary. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. We're not interested in hearing all the versions of this joke that uh, were famous wherever you're from. I kind of am. Are you? Don't you want to know the different schoolyard regional variations of, of insane dad jokes? I bet you there's a New Zealand version. I bet you there's a colonial India version. Maybe there's like a like a version from Nigeria or South Africa. So I'm corrected. Send your version of these nonsensical jokes to Ken. He will... Try and play them off on me. Attention, joke police. And I will laugh. Uh, that's theomnibusproject.gmail.com. You can go on Facebook and try and fool the futurelings. Go on social media, and futurelings love to have inside jokes. The higher you get, the higher you get. They'll pay 20 bucks for a t-shirt about an inside joke. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, crazy. that's right. Put it on the put it out there among the futurelings, and the one that is the best, we will make an omnibus t-shirt. <laughs> the one that rises to the top. Uh, you can mail us actual things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. I'm holding something that came to the box this week, John, but um, it was to my attention at Omnibus LLC. So I'm kind of pondering whether this counts as Omnibus Mail. And it says Omnibus LLC. Is it a tax document? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read Attention it all can. on the air. <laughs> no, actually, the stuff that comes, sometimes stuff comes to. Um, comes to me at Omnibus LLC, I think because... Oh, you've registered yeah, it under like, your name? Yeah, so... If, so this is a job is, offer to start a new sitcom or something? So this came to the Omnibus P.O. box, but it was like in reference to me reading a Jeopardy clue about Heinz products. Go and, on. And so the, the kind people at the Senator John Heinz History Center in uh, Pittsburgh, a, a Smithsonian joint in Pittsburgh, sent me uh, a pin with a Heinz Pickle logo on it, as well as a sticker with a Pittsburgh sticker and a Heinz, basically something cheap from the gift shop at the at the John Heinz Museum. Wow, that uh, that pickle is this green. <laughs> <laughs> it 
it's actually more like this, this green. green. Yeah. And I don't know what to do with these. Well. My my kids have all uh, my kids used to be so young and dumb that they would take any stupid. Like when I traveled, if I forgot to get them something, I would just give them the airplane peanuts. Yeah, and they'd be like, "Yay!" The, the free slippers from first class. <laughs> oh, I didn't even get those. I was in coach eating peanuts. I will one hundred percent put that Heinz pickle pin on a on the lapel of a jacket. I assumed you would. So figure out who in your house, uh, including you, would fall for this. Okay. And I'd like to thank the Senator John Heinz Museum. Visit it next time you are in fragrant Pittsburgh. Let me see that pin. That is a great. Pickle I know, right? Pin. I can't believe that. Oh, it's because you're not. You're not whimsical. I don't have flair on any of my outfits. And I do. Look at my utilitarian gray sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now. Without a a, single pickle to offend the eye. You look like a tech billionaire, whereas I look like a guy that works at... at, uh, You work at Applebee's. Applebee's. And I'm in my nondescript Volvo of no color. You know, I I have that, that, uh, that patch from the 1970s that looks like a... Looks like this shield of a... Of a Union Army, except in the middle it says honky. And <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to figure out what jacket to sew it on. And I, you know, once you have the once you have a honky patch on your jacket, you're always going to be honky guy. Yeah, you can only wear that to certain events. Like, where do you wear your? I don't. There's no jacket I have that I want to limit the number of opportunities I can wear it so much that I want to put a honky patch on it. It does feel like a patch that you would. Like if you could slap it on and take it off, maybe is but, that a, is that a thing? But a Heinz, well, do you, have no, a, do you have a Velcro solution? That's the thing. If you were in the army, yeah, you you'd have Velcro for your unit insignia. Oh, is that true? Those yeah. are unit. Yeah, I thought then, I assumed they were all. I guess it makes sense. Well, and I I guess it's because you rip it off if you're captured and throw it in the garbage, or if and you're then, angry, and then you just <laughs> if you're angry at your CO. You rip the the C off of your letter sweater and, <laughs> and taking turn, the le- <laughs> turn uh, speaking, ice into kais. Speaking of nonsense <laughs> shibboleths, everyone on the internet is like, "What is that thing Ken says about a varsity sweater?" Because I'm trying to do Joan Rivers, right? Yeah, taking the letter L from his varsity sweater, and somebody online is like, "Why does Ken always do Travolta?" Really? <laughs> when he says var- that varsity sweater thing, yeah, uh, that's my yeah, that's my tra- that's my Travolta. I guess it's yeah. the same. It's when uh, it's when I try to do uh, Sarah Silverman, and everybody accuses me of being a racist. Yeah, I was about to say, and then the ADL <laughs> comes to your house. <laughs> um, but this Heinz pickle, I feel like you put this on the lapel of your jacket. What is it going to be? Except one leg, both the same. Everybody's going to go. What's with the pickle? Hey, Heinz guy. And all I have to do is say, one leg both the same. You can be the hidden Christmas pickle at at every party. Hmm. Uh, And with that, having sent us a pickle pin, now the the only thing left I can ask you to do is support the show. What can you get the man who has everything? And uh, and your support for the show, uh, in in this case... Darwin was able to, as a as a supporter, make us talk about nothing for uh, for over an hour. Yeah, unlike our other shows, and so uh, so go to patreon.com slash omnibus project and uh, and make a generous contribution to the uh, to the manufacture of this program. It's not the kind of sacrifice in a modern sense where you are giving up uh, something great for no return. This is more like the biblical kind of sacrifice, where you put your Patreon money on the altar, and as a result, Zeus or Yahweh or whoever it is bestows upon you great favors. Yes. Those that those which your lamb fat or doves could never on their own attain. Mm. You could receive a free Omnibus Addenda show every month, access to our video feed, 
uh, signed show notes coming to you in your mailbox. All kinds of uh, of amazing uh, uh, doodads and uh, accoutrements. The satisfaction of a job well done. In, in lieu of cutting your husband's hair in order to uh, precipitate his downfall. In lieu of murdering your husband because he complained about the roasted chicken. You can instead support Omnibus at patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. Listeners from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe of fear may never come, or at least until we document all this forgotten marginalia of our, our time and all times. Mm-hmm. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.